The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoke Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. And today, we're going to talk about insomnia. You know why? Because I got it. <laughs> I woke up at uh, 3 a.m. this morning and have been up since then. Uh, I'm recording this on Monday, the 24th, uh, October 24th, by the way, in case anyone was wondering. Um, yeah, uh, according to my aura ring, I got three hours and 50 minutes of sleep last night out of five hours and nine minutes in bed. Uh, went to sleep at around 10.15-ish uh, and uh, got up to go to the bathroom uh, and then could not fall asleep again because my mind, I guess for good reasons, I wouldn't call it anxiety. It was excitement about the week. This is the first full week of yeshiva after the Moadim. So this is like, feels like starting off the year proper, you know, even though we had a couple weeks before. And my mind was just abuzz with all these things that uh, I am excited to do this week, to teach, to write, to uh, to make podcasts for. Uh, and, uh, and I just couldn't get to sleep. Um, so... Uh, I wanted, to, I've made a couple episodes, three episodes, I believe, about my insomnia, which I'll link uh, in the show notes below. Um, but I have a couple of uh, new uh, insights and additions. Um, so one thing I don't think I've talked about, I forgot if I mentioned this in the last insomnia episode. Uh, I, I started this thing. It wasn't even as a like a, a an intentional habit, just something I started doing which is whenever I get an insomnia, my insomnia rarely has to do with falling asleep. It's always about getting up in the middle of the night and then not being able to fall asleep again. Uh, you know, so, um, one of the things I've started doing is when I finally resign myself to the fact that I'm not going to get any more, uh, sleep that night. Um, I, uh, I bake a cake <laughs> or I, I bake something. Uh, you know, I, uh, I got into baking, really due to the Great British Baking Show, uh, but combined with the fact that I've been uh, doing the keto diet for uh, five and a half years now. Uh, and so it's been really, really fun to explore all the different types of baking, uh, of baked goods that, um, you know, that, that are uh, keto friendly out there. And I really enjoy it, but I don't really have time or make time to do baking during the week. Um, I'll often try to do it for Shabbos, but then that also limits me because I'm typically making parv uh, baked goods, uh, whereas there's a whole world of dairy baked goods out there that I want to bake, and I just don't have time during the week. So uh, I, uh, I, I don't even know why I started doing this, but the way I view it now is um, is that this is an application of... Uh, of the uh, of the the obstacle is the way, uh, as Marcus Aurelius writes in Meditations, Book Five, Chapter Twenty. He says, in one respect, uh, actually, I'm going to skip that part because that's not really relevant to our part. Oh, he says that yeah, the mind adapts and turns around any obstacle to action to serve its objective. A hindrance to a given work is turned to its furtherance. An obstacle in the given path becomes an advance, or as I prefer to state it, uh, as it says on the. Inscription on my Stoic medallion, the obstacle is the way, the impediment to action advances action, what stands in the way becomes the way. So we've talked about that a lot uh, in the past. Um, and uh, another uh, new quotation I found uh, this morning uh, by Plutarch in his uh, in On Virtue and Vice, uh, chapter four, he says, by the aid of philosophy, you will live not unpleasantly, for you will learn to extract pleasure from all places and things. Wealth will make you happy because it will enable it will enable you to benefit many. And poverty, as you will then have few things to worry about. And glory, as it will make you honored. And obscurity, for you will then be safe from envy. So this is a form of 
stoic optimism, but it doesn't just have to do with looking on the bright side of things. It has to do with actually converting less than ideal situations into tools for advancing your goal. And in this case, uh, that's what I'm doing is that I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I wake up and of course I'm annoyed that I can't get back to sleep, but I immediately channel those feelings into something productive and enjoyable, which is baking a cake. Uh, and, uh, and not only that, but like, I actually get something out of this that, that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to consume the cake in one sitting. Like today I made a, uh, um, a pumpkin cake, uh, with cream cheese frosting. And what's going to happen is every time I look at that cake and eat it, I will be saying to myself, this cake would not have existed were it not for my insomnia. You know, it's kind of like, I haven't been through, uh, I haven't, looked into this uh, phrase in the statements of Hazal, the sages, um, uh, exhaustively, but they have this phrase of spitting the Satan in the eye. You know, the Satan, uh, the, the Gemara Bava Basra says, uh, hu satan hu hu or whatever the order is, that the, the Satan is the evil inclination, which is the angel of death. You know, and spinning it in the eye, uh, That's this is what I, uh, under the impression that it means, is, is basically like, like, there's one level where you avoid getting... Um, getting uh victimized by the satan you know getting uh, victimized by the uh, the itahara by the, uh, the the psyche but there's another thing where you not you you master it in a way that makes you say ha i got you you know you thought you were you were going to get me by making me feel uh, all this suffering from from uh from not going to sleep but uh i uh, i got you because i made a cake <laughs> okay so that's the that's the spitting the satan in the eye but it's more than that because by doing this action, by starting off my morning um, with uh, with with uh, you know that early with, with such a good thing and like getting the smell of the cake in the air, it was incentive to then utilize my morning in a way that is even more productive. So I got some reading done. I got uh, you know I, I thought I was gonna. So huh, let me give you the details of the schedule. So uh, right now, so huh, right now, Hanate's. Uh, sunrise is at 7:16 this morning. Now, I for for the um, for the part of the year before Rosh Hashanah, I have a chavrusa over the phone with my uh, longtime chavrusa in uh, in Israel, and uh, our chavrusa is usually was usually from 7 a.m. my time to 8 a.m. Uh, but then when we resumed after uh, you know today was our first day back after Sukkot. And I told him, I said, look, you know, I have to, I have to daven, you know, and like, that's going to take up, that's going to cut into our Harusa time from at least seven to at least seven 30, you know? Uh, so I can only learn from seven 30 to eight. And we tried working around seeing if there's any other time that we could, we could learn. Uh, and there wasn't. So he said, okay, fine. I, I guess that's, that's that. But this morning when I woke up at three and got out of bed at, uh, at, you know, at four, um, and baked my cake, uh, I, uh, I texted my Harusa and said, look, uh, you know, I'm up now, we can actually learn. And we got in a full hour of learning, which was great learning, which again, would not have happened had I not had an insomnia, you know? Um, so that's, again, another way of, of uh, making the obstacle into the way. Uh, furthermore, uh, they're, you know, looking at it from the lens of Plutarch, of just looking for the good in each situation. You know, I traveled back, I was in Seattle for Sukkot, and uh, uh, that is three hours behind. Uh, and what I, uh, for those who haven't experienced, um, you know, there's different kinds of jet lag, whatever each has its, uh, its, uh, its own, uh, unique tortures. Uh, but the, for me, the three hour 
torture is that it basically kills six hours of my sleep because let's say, you know, I usually, let's say I, I usually go to bed at 10 PM and I wake up at 6 AM. Um, but, but so what's going to happen is I get used to that schedule in Seattle. Then I come here. And for me, uh, I don't start feeling sleepy till 1 AM, right? Because that's three hours after 10 AM. And then when I wake up at 6 AM, it's like waking up at 3 AM, you know? So I'm basically like chopping off six hours uh, of my sleep. And, uh, and to make matters worse, I got in to, uh, back to New York on the red eye on, uh, leaving Seattle on Wednesday, last Wednesday, and then getting in on Thursday. And then I, I, I had my day, I taught, you know, I can't sleep on planes. So I was up for like, you know, 36 plus hours. And, uh, and then I had Shabbos and like, you know, the, my sleep has been messed up, you know? So I've hoped and prayed to get back to East coast time and to adjust in a way, uh, as soon as possible so that I can get on with my, with my life. So, you know, I, as annoying as it was to wake up at 3am this morning, I realized that what better way to jumpstart or to accelerate my getting used to East time, East coast time than to deprive myself of sleep, you know, because by the time we get to tonight, I guarantee you, I'm going to be very tired and I will have much greater odds of sleeping through the night and falling and, and being tired at 10 PM, uh, than I would have otherwise, uh, than I have for the last couple of days. So that's another, another advantage. Okay. So that's one class of, uh, of, of, uh, of strategies, uh, of, uh, and perspectives that I'm, I'm applying to my insomnia for this morning. Oh, also, you want know, another benefit of, of, uh, of this morning's, uh, insomnia was, is I planned out this whole episode and I recorded it now, you know, we might not, well, we wouldn't even gotten the content for this episode if it weren't for the insomnia, but I also wouldn't have been able to make necessarily another episode this week, uh, were it not for this. So I, you, we get an extra episode. So all these good things came from the insomnia and that's, that's something that is, uh, making the obstacle into the way. Okay. So, the title of this episode was uh, "When Life Gives You ins uh, Insomnia, Bake a Cake and Rejoice in Yusurin." So, what are Yusurin? Yusurin are afflictions. Okay, and um, I I would love to go into this in depth, but I actually think it would not be in the best interest of this format. Uh, but basically, um, you know, I was reflecting on Shmini Atzeres, which we just had last week, which is the last holiday in the cycle. Uh, there's an article I wrote on Shmini Atzeres based on commentary of the Haksava Hakbala of uh, Mecklenburg, who writes that Shmini Atzeres is really the holiday devoted to, I'll link that in the comments, the holiday devoted to um, reflecting back on the entire cycle of the holidays of the Moadim and realizing how much the insights and the mitzvahs of those holidays have changed you and transformed you. And then recognizing that you're about to enter into the winter, uh, a long period, the, the literal winter, but also a period of six months where we don't have any uh, holidays, at least Torah holidays. And that unless we are vigilant, we will lose out on, uh, you know, then, then a lot of the insights that, and transformations we got will fade and we'll, we'll return to a default. Uh, and uh, that's expressed by Hazal, by the sages, in the metaphor of Shemini Atzeres, which is God says to the Jews, you know, you've been celebrating with me. He says, you know, it's like a king who, uh, who you know, invites all the subjects to a, a feast that lasts for seven days. And on the eighth day, he sends everyone else home. But then to his favorite son, he says, you know, uh, please stay with me one more day because it's difficult. Uh, your, your parting from me is difficult. Uh, Rashi brings that down somewhere. I forgot what the source. I'm not going to look it up right now. Um, so the Haksava Hakabala explains that 
what's the metaphor of it's difficult for God, uh, our parting from God is difficult for him. It's a metaphor for the fact that we are going to enter into a period where, where we're in danger of losing all the perfection that we gained from these Moadim. Uh, and what we should do on Shemini Atzeris is re recognize that this is part of the cycle, you know, and that we have to, um, to, uh, uh, to appreciate what we've gained, but then also to try to prepare for, uh, for this coming period of time. So I was thinking back to what are the most transformational insights I gained from this cycle of Mo'adim, and without a doubt, the greatest insight I gained was from Yom Kippur, okay, this year, um, and which also happens to be fresh in my mind. Now, I really want to go into this whole shear. Uh, I actually will link it in the comments. Uh, I gave a shear on, uh, called, um, on the Rambam called uh, Kapara and Tshuva. I was actually going over the shear of one of my Rebbein, uh, from the Sefer that he wrote, he asked me not to mention his name, uh, the Sefer uh, that he recently published, Lamakadeach Ulamachroz, B'Mishnah Torah LaHarambam, and uh, this is one of his shirim called uh, Kapara Uteshuva, and it also draws upon another shir in the same Sefer called Shofar Sha'asur Hana'a. And the shear, the first shear deals with the question, deals with the question of what do we mean by Kapara, loosely translated as atonement. Now, if you want to listen to the whole shir, uh, you, you know, click on the link in the description. Uh, it's not even the whole shear; it's half of the shear. But I'm just going to cut to the chase and and uh, and isolate the idea that I gained from this. So in the shear, he goes into a ramban. Actually, it's two rambans. One in this week's parsha in Noah. Uh, on let me see if I could find the reference really quickly here. Um, nine. 13, and then another Ramban on Breshis 31.42. Both of these reference this concept uh, uh, called the Midasadin Shalmala and the Midasadin Shalmata. Midasadin being translated as the the measure of judge, of strict judgment or strict justice. And uh, Midasadin Shalmala is the the Mida of, of absolute, you know, of, of uh, so it literally translates as the 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 attribute of justice on high and the attribute of justice uh, below. And the idea that the author gave uh, on this is as follows, that there is an absolute Midas Hadin that God has uh, of, 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 let's call it absolute justice, okay? And by the standards of absolute justice, in fact, you know, I'm just going to read the way he wrote it here. Um, he says in his Shira on Shofar Sha'asur Hana'ah, he says, um, do, do, do. We, we can say according to the uh, intent of the Ramban, that God's attribute, again, God doesn't have attributes, it means the uh, attribute in action. The attribute of just, uh, Hashem's attribute of justice in, in this world is only a reflection of the true attribute of justice on high. Because it's impossible for human beings to live, to, 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 to survive and to live with the true Midas Adin, with true justice. And therefore, Hashem It's as if God fixed or mitigated or adjusted the the Midas Adin Shalmala, the absolute justice, and established an attribute of justice below so that people can live. Okay, so my understanding of this idea is as follows. I'm going to uh, go back to the the the, uh, the book in a second. 
my un- idea uh, understanding is as follows. You know, the Ramam famously opens the Mishnah Torah, uh, his magnum opus, in Hilchasi Sodei Torah Aleph Aleph, in the laws of the foundations of the Torah, uh, one one, by saying Rishon. The foundation of foundation and the pillar of all sciences is to know that there is a, a, a first existence. Uh, first, uh, however you want to translate that. <laughs> um, uh, and he brings into existence everything that exists. And everything that exists uh, in heaven and on earth and everything in between only exists by the reality of his existence. And if one uh, could entertain the notion that God, that this being didn't exist, nothing else could exist. And if one could entertain the notion that no other existences besides him existed, he alone would would exist. And he would not be negated by their negation. All existences need him. And he, blessed is he, does not need them nor any one of them. So that's describing the idea of God as the independent existence and us as dependent existences or contingent existences, that we only live by virtue of God's will. Okay, now, everything else in the universe also exists by virtue of God's will. But if you think about it, if something in the universe could go against God's will, it would have no right to exist. For example, God created gravity, right? And gravity functions according to uh, its principles. If gravity were to say, nah, I'm not going to do that, so then it basically, like, it can't exist. I mean, we can't even conceive of a thing. That's why the Ram says if you could conceive of such a thing, right? Um, so the funny thing about humans is that we are the only beings who could go against God's will. We have free will, right? So we can go against God's will. Now, the reality is that if you go against God's will, if you sin, you really have no right to exist. You undercut your own right to exist, and uh, and, and and that should be it. And that would be absolute justice. But we could not live with absolute justice because then the entire human race would just, uh, you know, there's no complete tzaddik on earth who does only good and doesn't uh, sin, as it says in Kohala 7.20, right? Um, so we wouldn't be able to live with that. So God adjust, you know, does not judge us by the standards of absolute justice, of Midas Adin Shalmala. He judges us by the standards of Midas Adin Shalmata, which is its own, what we call divine justice. Okay, now, going back to the Sefer, uh, uh, the author writes, If people were to think that the reality of the word of Hashem was the uh, the lower Midas Adin, by because we live in its framework, we would arrive at a horrible error about uh, in in our knowledge of God, namely uh, In other words, if we were to relate to what we call God's uh, uh, justice, meaning the the lower mitzvahdin, then uh, if we were to, to relate to that as the true justice, then that would be a distortion. You know, I'm actually not going to read through the rest of this year. It's going to take too long. You can listen to the thing. Let me just summarize here. Okay. Um, that basically the, what we need to do is we need to recognize the only, the only matir, the only license we have for living in this mitigated framework of God's lower justice is to recognize that it's not the true justice and that, that there is a true justice, which God is not applying to us. And based on that, then the author of the Sefer 
writes that that's what kapara is. Kapara is the recognition, atonement is the recognition that even after you have uh, done teshuva, even after you've corrected the causes of your sin in the framework of human perfection, you still really deserve to not exist anymore, you know? And it's only by God's mercy uh, that he allows you to continue to exist even after having sin. And Kapara, asking God for Kapara is is uh, is the is the is is the basis of us uh, being allowed to to survive in this way. And uh, so, in other words, the the part of the Chuva process involves us recognizing that we have no right, we've lost our right to exist whenever we sin by absolute justice, and it's only because of God's mercy that He has this mitigated form of justice where we can continue to live. Now, what does this have to do with insomnia? So in that shear, the author also writes that that's what Yisurin are. Yisurin are, are afflictions, okay? And, and what are afflictions? Afflictions are everything from horrible tragedies to the Gemara, I forgot where it is, says that even if you reach into your pocket to grab a quarter and you, you grab a nickel by mistake or you put on your shirt inside out, you know, even the minor annoyances in life. And the, uh, the, the author of the Sefer, Lamakadeh Lamach Rose, says that that Yisurin provide kapara because they are reminders that you have no right to exist if you've sinned. You know, that that the, the, the tendency is like when something bad happens to you, you're like, oh, why does this have to happen to me? Um, but when the, the premise of that is, is a horrendously uh, uh, arrogant premise, which is that I have a right to exist. And not only do I have a right to exist, but I have a right to have an existence free from pain. So when you experience pain or annoyance, you should recognize, oh, I don't even have a right to exist. And it's only by God's mercy that I'm allowed to exist in order that I'd be able to perfect myself in order to serve him, you know? So so it's just this great reminder. And then that facilitates your uh, your the completion of your tshuva process as well. Now, um, I, I want before I return to insomnia, I want to read something to you that I read this morning, again, because I had insomnia. I'm reading this book right now. Excellent book. Uh, I'm only about a third of the way through it, called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. And um, the book is based on, the it's a time management book, but it's based on the concept that we only have on average 4,000 weeks to live, and therefore we can't get everything done. And so, so instead of trying to maximize productivity, the book is really about how to use the limited time that you have. Um, so I want to read this excerpt um, from uh, pages... 65 to 68, I think. I'm not, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but just parts of it, uh, because I think it really expresses this idea very well. So he says, this is the point at which I should come clean and admit that unfortunately I don't live my own daily life in a permanent state of unflinching acceptance of my mortality. Perhaps nobody does. What I can confirm though, is that if you can adopt the outlook we're exploring here, even just a little, if you can hold your attention, however briefly or occasionally on the sheer astonishingness of being and on what a small amount of that being you get, you may experience a palpable shift in how it feels to be here, right now, alive in the flow of time. From an everyday standpoint, the fact that life is finite feels like a terrible insult, a sort of personal affront, a taking away of one's time, in the words of one scholar. There you were, planning to live on forever, but now here comes mortality to steal away the life that was rightfully yours. Yet on reflection, there's something very entitled about this attitude. Why assume that an infinite supply of time is the default and mortality the outrageous violation? Or to put it another way, why treat 4,000 weeks as a very small number because it's so tiny compared with infinity, rather than treating it as a huge number because it's so many more weeks than if you had never been born? Surely only somebody who had failed 
to notice how remarkable it is that that anything is in the first place would take their own being as such a given, as if it were something that had every right to have conferred upon them and never to have taken away. So maybe it's not that you've been cheated out of an unlimited supply of time. Maybe it's almost incomprehensibly miraculous to have been granted any time at all. Now, this is the part I wanted to get to. George Lai, an environmental consultant, once told me that after the sudden and premature death of his friend and colleague, David Watson, he would find himself stuck in traffic, not clenching his fists in agitation as per usual, but wondering, what what would David have given to be caught in this traffic jam? It was the same for queues in supermarkets and customer service lines that kept him on hold for too long. Lai's focus was no longer exclusively on what he was doing in such moments or what he'd rather be doing now. Uh, what he'd rather be doing instead. Now he also noticed that he was doing it with an upwelling of gratitude that took him by surprise. So that was the idea I had. Again, I I read that after I got up, but because I had this idea of kapara in my mind of recognizing that, you know, like we say in Birkas HaGoma, HaGomel L'chayavim Tovos Mishik Tov, that God bestows good to those who are liable and who's bestowed all good onto me, I am liable. Like I don't really deserve to exist insofar as I went, as I've engaged in sin and gone against God's will. It's only by God's mercy that I am allowed to live. So, so having this annoyance, you know, of waking up early, Remind me of this idea of Yusurin, which is that Yusurin are these little reminders that you don't have an intrinsic right to exist. And that, in turn, made me feel grateful. And then when I read this, I was thinking to myself, what if this were the last day that I live, right? What if this was the last day uh, on my, uh, of my life? What would I give to wake up at 3 a.m.? Right. And to be able to 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 have this extra learning time with my Harusa, this extra reading time, this extra time to make this uh, this this last teaching, you know, and that filled me with gratitude (laughs) to bake this pumpkin cake. You know, that 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 filled me with this gratitude that shifted my perspective and made me thank God for being alive and being able to have insomnia. So that was another realization I had this morning as a result uh, of my Yom HaKippurim uh, that I had this year and the tremendous insights from those uh, that those shirim of uh, of the author of Okay, so that <laughs> is the end of the episode. Uh, in short, look at how beneficial this insomnia has been. Uh, it's gotten me a cake. It's gotten me reading. It's gotten me uh, learning from with Michael Russo, which I hope to have an article uh, and a share that w- that will emerge from from uh, our learning this morning. It's gotten us this uh, this podcast episode. Uh, I also get to drink more coffee <laughs> than I usually do and enjoy that as well. And it's only it's not even eight o'clock yet. Um, and so even though it's possible that my uh, my thinking and my energy will flag later on in the day, that's just one of the costs of being a physical creature in a physical world, right? I mean, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have a morning that begins at 3 a.m. and not get tired later on in the afternoon. Uh, and uh, and look, I get to practice acceptance of that as well. Okay, longer episode than usual, but I, I hope it was worthwhile. Uh, that is it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you'd like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah content fund, my Venmo is at my, Matt-Schneeweiss. I can't even talk now. And my Zell and PayPal are MattSchneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to support to produce even more Torah content for you. If you'd like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewasajiba.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.